Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. you like about being white what would you say <laughs> i don't know I, again it's such an amorphous term it's like a census term or a, a, a but, but can, can, can you do me a indulge me indulge me for one indulge me for a minute i understand you see it as as all these things but you surely recognize that the world sees you as white you know the world reads you as white and- what's an assault weapon yeah senator um the bill uh, to ban assault what, weapons is what is your dozens of pages of there's no way i could define an assault weapon you don't have any you're gonna run an eight this agency and you don't have a definition of assault weapon your presence here today is making history uh you are the first black woman to stand behind that podium speaking on behalf of the president in 30 years <laughs> your presence is making history you're the first black woman to speak to stand behind that podium in 30 years. In other words, you're the second black woman to stand behind the podium, and you're not really making history. Congrats on the gigs, Kareen. But man, this media, how pathetic is this? How pathetic is this? Not only is it pathetic that the media asked that question, the way they did, you're the first black woman to stand behind that podium. Uh, so how do you feel about that? But the fact that she had a canned answer, a statement written out. So in other words... They prepared for that question. They not only prepared for that question, but they prompted the press to ask the question. Hey, NBC, want to go first? Ask about the significance of Kareen standing there. These oh, talk about prostitutes. I'm not talking about Kareen. I'm talking about the White House press pool, press corps. My goodness, ridiculous. Listen to it again. Your presence here today is making history. Uh, you are the first black woman to stand behind that podium, speaking on behalf of the president. And- oh, wow, my God, that's a big thing. First black woman to stand behind that podium. That's a that's wow. making history. And for the, for the press to decide, the reporter, who should have a question about policy, mm-hmm. a question about current events, a question to say, let me submit first for the record, and this will go into the story I write, your presence here is making history. That, first of all, is the tongue bathing involved to do that is egregious enough. But to then do that when she's not. She's (laughs) she's only making history if you block out things that happened more than 30 years ago. Right. You're making history if you erase history. But history was made 30 years ago. Right. During the. Well, uh, it's being made again. During the George H.W. Bush uh, Ju- uh, uh, administration, Judy Smith, a deputy press secretary for George H.W. Bush, was the first black woman to do so during a briefing in 1991. Now, I don't doubt that the media didn't celebrate that occasion, <laughs> and Judy Smith didn't get that question, I bet. Mm. But, no, I'm sorry. Corrine Jean-Pierre, I don't know her. I'm sure she's wonderful. Right. But, the but no, you know, the... the this will be one of the things when we look at the burning embers of what used to be this country in a few years, 
And we say, wait, they were giving themselves trophies for firsts and new milestones. And so they cut ribbons while the country burned and they were proud of themselves. You're the first. So while the first black woman to stand behind the podium gets up there and we all celebrate ourselves and congratulate ourselves and give ourselves trophies, the black community is uh, besieged by crime now. Mm-hmm. Because we screwed them over the last year, because we went along with this fairy tale, fake narrative of police murdering blacks, and now policing has been reimagined. But we are good now for doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're really good because you. But don't I understand? Your cousin just got shot, and seven of his friends have been shot this year. And there's, but this summer there's probably going to be seventy-five kids, black people, shot uh, every weekend. Conservative guess. Who knows? You know. But but you know what? Don't worry about that. All you need to do is recognize and appreciate uh, the first black woman to stand behind that podium is up there. That's all you have to do. Be happy about that. Forget everything else that's going on. Your presence here today is making history. Uh, You are the first black woman to stand behind that podium, speaking on behalf of the president in 30 years. Just wondering if you could share your reflections with us. Well, you know what? She actually has something on that. Well, uh, thank you for the question. Um, You know, it's... It's a real honor to be standing, uh, to just be standing here today. It, it doesn't, um, it, you know, it, it, the, I appreciate the historic. Kaylee McEnany, you're only the fifth woman to stand behind that podium now since we've uh, started doing these. Uh, it's a historic day. Uh, how does it feel? I don't know that Kaylee got any how does it feel questions. She may or have been Sarah the... Huckabee Sanders, for that matter. No, 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 no. Nature, I really do. Uh, but I, I believe that, uh, you know, being, high, being behind this podium, uh, being in this room, uh, being in this building is not about one person. It's about, you know, what we uh, do. Okay. That's fine. That doesn't matter. That's, uh, that's it. The first black woman to stand behind the podium happened today. So everybody uh, cheers. Yay. Okay. So other uh, in other places in Washington, D.C., some absolute insanity happened in a moment. We will be talking to Stephen Gutowski, who is, um, he writes for the, what is the name of The Reload. The Reload. He founded The Reload. He, I'm sorry. He founded The Reload. He used mm-hmm. to write for the Free, uh, Free Beacon. Beacon, and now he's done a little writing for The Dispatch as well. But you should follow, go to thereload.com and watch the work this guy's mm-hmm. doing on the Second Amendment uh, issues, legislation happening. And there was a hearing today in Washington, D.C., where the guy who wants to be the new ATF chief, who's named David Chipman, who's an odd fellow, <laughs> I gotta say, Oz, uh, was grilled by Republicans. Uh, and it, the guy said and done some odd, some odd things. Mm-hmm. So first of all, uh, and I'll let you uh, talk about Reddit and stuff in a second, but first of all, this guy, Chipman, he has been very vocal about wanting AR-15s banned. Right. He's worked for Everytown and Giffords, both right. gun control advocacy groups. He's Everytown a gun is control... the Bloomberg one, isn't it? The yeah, Bloomberg? that's the... Giffords is Gabrielle yeah. Giffords. Right. So this is he's an activist for gun control groups. Right. He's a lobbyist, and they're appointing him to be the head of the ATF. He wants AR-15s banned and assault weapons banned and everything else banned. Right. And so here's uh, Cruz, uh, Ted Cruz. Putting it to him on the AR-15s. Mr. Chipman, a minute ago, uh, Senator Whitehouse asked you if any of your views on guns are out of step with the majority of the American people. Um, the, AR- the AR-15 is one of, if not the most popular rifle in America. It's not a machine gun. It's a rifle. Uh, your public position is that you want to ban AR-15s. Is that correct? Senator, uh, thank you for the question, and thank you for our visit yesterday and offering me a Dr. Pepper. It made me reminisce about my time in Central Texas. But now to your uh, question. Uh, with respect to the AR... Yay, what a delivery. <laughs> Sold that one. 15 on I support uh, a, a ban as, um, as has been presented um, in uh, a Senate bill. Uh, and supported by the president. Um, the AR-15 is a gun I was issued on ATF's SWAT team, and it's a particularly lethal weapon, um, and regulating it as other particularly lethal weapons um, I have advocated for. Um, as ATF director, if I'm confirmed, I would simply enforce the laws on the books, and right now um, there is no such uh, ban on those guns. 
So you want to ban the most popular so rifle talk about in some doublespeak, huh? Mm-hmm. Man, so yeah, and I was issued one of those. It is particularly, I mean, he is like. I've used it, but I'm kind of special because yes. I was on the ATF SWAT team, which we all know never does bad things. And when so- we talked to uh, Gatowski from Reload dot the reload dot com um he'll get into some of the explanations uh, in peculiarities in this guy's uh in this guy's uh answers but john kennedy the senator asked him a simple question as well and it was just awkward watching uh, this uh, nominee chipman uh, avoid it define it for me would you please sir um What's an assault weapon? Yeah, Senator, uh, um, the bill uh, to ban assault what, weapons is what is your dozens of pages. Of There's no way I could define an assault weapon. You don't have any. Senate. You're going to run an a- this agency, and you don't have a definition of assault weapon. But I would be enforcing the definition that members yeah, of Congress. Yeah, but you're going to be issuing rules and regulations. Just give me your definition. <laughs> um, I'll give you one definition that ATF. Give me your definition. Uses. One definition that ATF currently... Give me your definition. I can give you one definition. If you want to answer my question, how can I vote for you? I'm done, Mr. Chairman. I don't think I'm going to get an answer. Ooh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Okay. Uh, At one point he's asked... I'm not going to play the question, Alice. He's asked about this Reddit thing that happened. What did he do with Reddit? I just will play his his answer. Mm -hmm. So he didn't ask me anything forum on reddit and um one of the things that he said was that something that he really was proud of in his work at atf is um the ability of the atf to look through data to see if they could figure out who was going to commit crimes with guns so that they could get them before they commit the crimes so uh then he here was his explanation for that today when i was Talking about um, the um, prosecution of people who had lied and tried to buy a gun, Um, clearly those people who lie and try have committed a serious federal felony. And what I suggested is if we did research, we could determine which of those people were most likely to later commit some violent crime. And I do believe it would be ATF's mission, that of prosecutors, to prosecute those people who committed a serious federal felony before, um, you know, striking again and killing someone. With respect to the other quote, I'll just say briefly. Are you saying that what you, in fact, meant was before committing other crimes and after committing a predicate crime? Is is, is that what you're telling me that you meant when when you said this is a perfect opportunity to arrest people before committing crimes rather than responding after the fact? Is that what you meant? Senator, um, thank you for the question and thank you for the opportunity to clarify. Please What clarify. I said was that I think that in certain circumstances, it is absolutely the mission of ATF to arrest people for lying on a federal firearms form, a five-year felony. Right, because that's a crime. That is a crime. And it's the one I was speaking about in the quote that you were saying, sir. Okay. but That you- is not at all accurate, what he was saying. Yeah, no. He was saying that they could use this, the list of people who were on the the government's list of people who had lied on the application mm-hmm. and investigate them independently and... and Determine per- who's likely exactly. to commit future crimes by looking at the data. And that that would right. be a great use of our time and money federally would be to find out who's going to commit crimes in the future and then uh, <laughs> prosecute them for it. So basically the idea is you take a minor crime that they... Well, I mean minor crime. I guess that's debatable. It's a felony that is extremely rarely prosecuted. And you say, not like, this is an important thing that we should prosecute, but you say, let's figure out who are the people that commit this crime that we never prosecute, and let's just go after the ones that are going to commit crimes in the future with our special psychological analysis. Right, pre-crimes, which is right. exactly what we don't By the want. way, your Himalayan salt lights are not oh. on. I just now, noticed that. Th- this is compounded um, by other comments you've made that, to me, reflect a certain degree of disdain toward gun owners. This is Mike Lee. And in particular, new gun owners. On April 3rd of 2020, just over a year ago, you gave an interview with Cheddar News. And you were talking about increases in gun sales, especially first-time gun owners who had decided to purchase a gun for the first time during the pandemic. In the interview, you openly mocked first-time gun owners, uh, saying that they were, quote, more like Tiger King, and 
then uh, advising them in a, a, quite a, a, a mockery to hide their gun, quote, behind the cans of tuna and beef jerky they have stored in a cabinet and only bring that out if the zombies start to appear, close quote. <laughs> when I first saw this, I, I watched the clip and I read the clip several times, hoping that I was missing context, hoping that there was something else there that would make this less troubling. It, it concerns me that, that, that you, as, as the nominee to be the director of the ATF, would have such a, a, a flippant and, if I may say so, utterly condescending attitude toward first-time gun owners in, the, in this country. I, I say this as a former federal prosecutor, one who worked with ATF agents and agents from many other agencies. All right, we get they, it. This, we get it. So, um, so he's a jerk. He does not respect gun owners. Right. He, in a bizarre answer, he says that it was he was talking about himself in that case and not the other people. He was about, self-depreciating, he yeah, said. Self-depreciating, <laughs> which is great. I'm actually honestly more disturbed by the fact that he yeah. thinks it's self-depreciating than I am by the well, whole answer. Well, it seems to me that he's nuts. But <laughs> we will now uh, go to the man who would know about this stuff from the guy from The Reload. His name is Stephen Gutowski, uh, and um, we'll get some clarity from him. Okay, if you missed it today, if you were out working and um, living as an American and, uh, you know, paying for food on the table, trying to make a living, then you missed one hell of a show in Washington, D.C. The Senate was uh, in the was uh, interrogating, really, and rightfully, the prospective ATF chief, uh, David Chipman, and it sounded a little something like this. Define it for me, would you please, sir? Um... What's an assault weapon? Yeah, Senator, uh, um, the bill uh, to ban assault what, weapons is, what is your dozens of pages. Of There's no way I could define an assault weapon. You don't have any. You're going to run an, this agency, and you don't have a definition of assault weapon. But I would be enforcing the definition that members yeah, of Congress. Yeah, but you're going to be issuing rules and regulations. Just give me your definition. Um, I'll give you one definition that ATF. Give me your definitions. <laughs> one definition that ATF currently. Give me your definition. I can give you one definition. If you won't answer ATF my question, I, how can I vote for you? I'm done, Mr. Chairman. I don't think I'm going to get an answer. Holy hell! And we didn't get any answers. And thankfully, the guy who uh, is uh, for his own unfortunate uh, toil and effort is is the guy forced to watch these uh, hearings is Stephen Gutowski. Now, you probably, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. He is a must-follow at Stephen Gutowski. He is the founder of TheReload.com. You can sign up there for a newsletter. There's also a paid newsletter and where you can get paid content, etc. Um, and he is a hell of a source, especially in Second Amendment issues. He's a gun safety officer and a firearms reporter. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So this guy, David Shipman, first of all, to me, hearing him not be able to to um, to describe, to define what an assault weapon is, how scary is that? Well, I think uh, what he's trying to do there is avoid giving any sort of uh, definitive uh, classification for what assault weapon is, because uh, essentially it's a it's a political term um, that can really change from state to state where they they have assault weapons bans and, and changes over time as well uh, in a lot of those states and as well in uh, federal uh, proposals to ban assault weapons. The definition is more or less constantly changing. So I think you wanted to avoid, I guess, uh, uh, cornering people who, who want to uh, uh, pass these sorts of laws that he supports. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you saw him basically flat out refuse to try and even attempt to define what they are. Um, I mean, it could also just be that he doesn't himself have a good <laughs> definition. Uh, it's unclear, obviously, but I, that that would be my main guess is he just doesn't want to. Uh, a lot of times in these confirmation hearings, yeah. they, these people try to go out of their way, nominees, uh, to not um, answer obvious and clear questions because it could, you know, uh, put uh their supporters like the president into a, a box that they don't want to put them in i guess no doubt and, they're and always, that's where you get these embarrassing right like a lot that. of them go into stealth mode and they're very cagey and, and he was uh, a little wacky along with all that stuff but i guess the nightmare scenario as far as the assault weapons would be that 
he, as the head of the ATF, deems that you're carrying assault weapons and doors are kicked down and, you know, uh, rights are uh, denied. And maybe people die. If you look at the history of the ATF in the last few decades, it is chilling to see some of the, uh, the destructive interactions they've had. Yeah, and we saw a little bit of this. We're unlucky enough to live in Massachusetts, so we've had, you know, an assault weapons ban in Massachusetts, sort of, where... Um, you know, our attorney general just decides sometimes that new things are assault weapons, like on the fly. And, you know, everybody who had one before because the guidance wasn't interpreted that way, you know, is now in trouble. So, I mean, how much power does an ATF director have, do you think, to like, how worried are we that this guy will get in there and be in charge if Congress can't pass these gun bills? That's a really great question, actually, because certainly the ATF director's authority is is fairly limited like he can't just institute an assault weapons ban on his own but the atf does have a lot of leeway in how they interpret you know the way uh, the current laws are enforced right and um in fact uh the biden administration wants to provide them even more leeway on that uh with things like um changing the definition of what constitutes a firearm so that the it broadens out the atf's power in that regard um, I wouldn't expect that if Chipman becomes director that he could just order the ATF to start confiscating firearms, you know, AR-15s from everyone. I don't think that's realistic. But um, it's it's uh, one of the big issues with Chipman and one of the big concerns that I think a lot of industry people and gun rights people have is that mm-hmm. he has a history of working at the ATF. So he has a better understanding of how the agency works and exactly how far he can stretch the authority of the director in order to implement the policies that he wants. And and he's been extremely clear on the record for decades now that he wants much more expansive gun laws, far beyond what even Senate Democrats or even House Democrats are, are willing to vote for. So, uh, you know, that's where I think a lot of the concern comes in. Is this guy says he wants really uh, uh, strict gun laws, and he also knows exactly how the ATF works, and he knows where he could probably push the limits on the authority of, of the agency to, to get closer to what he wants to see enacted. Right. So I know that one of the things he did say he supports, and he, in his gun control advocacy, has said before, he wants AR-15s banned. So that's, I mean, that right there is a lot of people's guns right off the bat. Um but yeah, and he, he doesn't just want them banned as well. And he could, he confirmed this today in the hearing. It's interesting to see he didn't really back down from any of his previous policy positions. Uh, he, he apologized a lot for things he said, controversial stuff he said, like mocking gun owners and, and lies that he's, he's repeated about uh, the Waco um, uh, shootout. But uh, right. he, he stood by a lot of his most, um, I guess, extreme policy positions. Uh, mm-hmm. So he doesn't just want to ban the future sale of AR-15s like we saw with the 94 assault weapons ban. He also wants to take all of the AR-15s currently owned by people like the one here behind me and, <laughs> and put them uh, under the national firearms act, which is the, the law, the federal law that regulates uh, machine guns and, and uh, things like suppressors or silencers, uh, which re- which would require all of them to be registered with the ATF and for the owners to pay a $200 tax stamp uh, on every one. So, you know, that's, that's way for the, that's much further out there than what Senate Democrats or even house Democrats have been willing to actually vote in support of. Oh, we're talking to Stephen Gutowski. He is a must follow on Twitter at Stephen Gutowski. So what does that mean? If you're on the federal register, then the ATF, what is his next step? He gets you 200 bucks. They've got your names. What is the the nightmare scenario going further than that? Well, obviously, a lot of gun rights advocates argue that registration is the first step to confiscation. But Mm -hmm. even if that weren't to happen, um, the National Firearms Act comes with a lot more regulations than just uh, requiring uh, you to register your firearm with the ATF. it, you know, you, you also have to fill out paperwork when you want to travel with your gun across state lines. Um, and there's a there's a whole host of different things that you can and can't do if you own uh, an NFA item uh, like that. So uh, it, it wouldn't just be a concern about, you know, potential future confiscation. 
there would also just be a concern about how onerous the NFA right. uh, regulations are. And, and also like the ATF's just basic realistic ability to even perform an action like registering all of the AR-15s in America. I think people really wildly underestimate how many there are. There's estimated to be like 18 to 20 million of these sorts of guns uh, currently owned in the country, which maybe doesn't sound like a lot to people, but put that into perspective. Um, there's only estimated to be about a million small arms owned by the entire police force of the entire country. Wow. So you'd have to register uh, 18 million new guns when the ATF already has a really hard time registering things like silencers, where there's only about one or two million of those. And it takes, it could take six months to a year to get your registration through at ATF. And imagine them trying to the uh, increase the size by multiples. It, it sounds like a bureaucrat's dream to make it as much of a morass as possible at the same time to badger the AR-15 owners and hector them and burden them with all this regulatory crap that you say, F it. I'm, I'm not, it's not even worth it anymore. And if you don't comply, uh, if you don't register something under the National Firearms Act that's required to be registered, uh, if you have an unregistered gun uh, under the NFA, that, that's a federal felony too. So <clears throat> if you don't comply with this, uh, in, you know, this proposal, how, how Chipman wants things to be, um, you're facing, you know, 10 years in federal prison for each act, for each time that you don't do it. So if you have more than one uh, gun that falls under this act and you don't register them, uh, you know, in whatever timetable is given uh, in, in, you know, in theory under this proposal, then, you know, you could be facing multiple federal felonies. Wow. Um, and that would be for potentially millions of people because historically Americans don't comply very well with uh, registration requirements for firearm related <laughs> you know, for either guns or gun-related products. Yeah, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of boating accidents where AR-15s get lost if that goes forward because that's what uh, always oh. people say. But um, I uh, I wonder about this because, like you say, this is such a huge um, burden already on the ATF that doesn't do things um, now that they could follow up on. So like another one of the big moments from this hearing is the back and forth with um, Mike Lee about the about the time Chipman was on Reddit. He did a Reddit Ask Me Anything. And he said that one of the great things that he was involved in at the ATF was, um, you know, following up on people who fail background checks, because lying on the form is a is a felony. And uh, you can follow up with those people and catch them before they commit a crime, and you can <laughs> you can get them well, before they commit the crime. So what he, what he had mm -hmm. what he had initially said was actually much worse than that. What he what right. he initially said was just that we should use the ATF to uh, go after people and arrest them before they commit crimes, which mm -hmm. created this whole sort of uh, minority report mm -hmm. like right. pre crime thing. And then he clarified in that back and forth with with Lee. Mm -hmm. That what he meant was, suppose, according to him, what he meant was that we should arrest people who lie on background checks, which is already a, a federal felony um, and is somewhat of a bipartisan uh, uh, initiative to do. It's called lie and try mm -hmm. is the, the sort of shorthand for it. Um, and oftentimes those crimes don't go prosecuted right. or they go unprosecuted because, um, well, one, it's kind of a hard crime to prove because basically you have to prove that somebody intentionally lied on the background check form. Basically, when you buy a gun, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of people in your audience have done it already, but you, you fill out a form, a federal form, and there's a little checklist of that just where you're confirming that you aren't, you know, a convicted felon or adjudicated mentally ill uh, or, you know, have a misdemeanor, domestic mm -hmm. violence. You know, there's a bunch of things you got to check off to affirm that you haven't done all these things and then they check your records to see if you lied or not basically and then if you if you did lie technically that's a federal felony uh, and a lot of people want to go after these crimes more but the problem is to prosecute something like that you obviously have to prove a state of mind that you were intentionally right you know, lying on this form and that often doesn't happen right and it seems like probably that would take a lot of resources et cetera, to try to pro prosecute anyway and it's just not it's not big game, <laughs> big game. Well, yeah, I think a lot of federal prosecutors don't look at that as like an exciting case to go after. You know, mm -hmm. if it's just some guy who, you know, is a felon from 20 years ago and 
doesn't check realize. the box and you know yeah. he committed some sort of a nonviolent felony they they probably don't put that high on their list of cases to go after um, right. not that it you know to be fair again this is a bipartisan concern that people more want these to be prosecuted more often um, mm-hmm. than they are but that's that was his explanation at least for what he meant that if you can stop if you uh, I guess prosecute people who fail the background checks uh, or who lie on the background check you can then stop them from committing a violent crime later on down the the line by prosecuting them for that Mm -hmm. paperwork crime. Yeah, which is almost interesting in itself, even with that as the excuse, because, you know, I would think that with the Democratic Party's focus right now on criminal justice reform and all this, that I, I don't think they love the idea that, you know, we should lock up people who have a tendency to commit crimes to prevent future ones. You know, even if they even if this is a felony that we should prosecute more often, I don't know if the justification should be, you know, so that we can prevent them from committing their future crimes. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about putting people in prison for uh, up to a decade for lying on a form, basically. Right. Um, uh, You don't necessarily have to prove beyond that, that they even meant to, uh, you know, commit a violent crime with the gun that they were trying to buy or anything like that. So certainly you could see the concerns raised about uh, from people who support criminal justice reform and, and I guess not locking people up for these sorts of crimes. But, but again, this is something that has support um, from Republicans and, and Democrats alike, right. unlike his, um, you know, he, he had another, he had multiple exchanges where he had to clarify or apologize for mm-hmm. um comments he's made over the years there there was one about um uh there's perhaps even more egregious which was about uh basically he, he went on a tv show and he mocked new gun owners in 2020 mm-hmm. uh compared them to uh tiger king mm-hmm. right um you know made fun of them for for buying guns hide it with your beef concerned. jerky and your tuna in the cupboard or whatever he mm-hmm. called people yeah i mean yeah. it's that's, and his explanation yeah. for that was way more bizarre, frankly. <laughs> right. He said he was talking about himself. Is that what he said? Yes, but he very clearly was not talking about himself right. in those comments. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was his explanation, but that made way less sense than the the background check thing. Like, no, you clearly weren't talking about yourself. You were talking about people who just bought guns last year, which he's been a gun owner from his own claims. So uh for a long sense. time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are seeing so much interest right now, surge in gun ownership. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's something we've talked about, too. I've taken the class and done the whole thing, but I haven't gone in Massachusetts. You have to, like, go and apply for the license with your police department. And, you know, mm-hmm. we essentially have a registry here already um, just locally. Yeah. Uh, so we haven't gone through all the steps, but it's something, you know, we've been looking at. You know, what advice do you have for people who are looking at getting into this now? I know they come from like all different backgrounds and walks of life, and it's almost a little intimidating right now because like ammo is so expensive, and you know, you want to be able to get into it and have the right supplies to do it safely and make sure you're practicing and all these things. So, I mean, what are you telling people right now who are looking to get into this? Yeah, I think those are great questions, right? Because, um, yeah, I just wrote the other week about the ammo shortage and how it's really not going to go away for probably several years now. Uh, We're not going to get back to a point where ammo supply is robust enough compared to demand where you can just walk into a a gun store and walk out with as much ammo as you feel like buying that day. Um, And so it is a big issue, especially for new gun owners who want to rightfully practice with their new guns, um, which you absolutely should do if, if you've bought a firearm, there's, you have a responsibility to train with it uh, and know how to use it safely um, and, and know how to store it safely and keep it away from, you know, children who, you know, without authorized access, without your guidance helping them. Um, but there, luckily there are good solutions for uh, situations like this where we don't have a lot of ammunition. Um, you know, you maybe reserve, you know, save up a little money to, and do some live fire exercises when you have the, when you're able to buy ammo and um, maybe it's worth paying a little bit more for it in order to do that. But you cut back on recreational shooting, uh, but make sure you keep up that training. Um, And then at the same time uh, you can train, uh, you can do what's called dry fire drills where, where you're shooting, um, you're, you're training with your gun in a safe manner, but without any ammunition. So it doesn't cost you anything. Um, and there, there's a lot of great exercises uh, to go through with dry fire. Um, 
in order to help hone your skills and improve your, uh, you know, your trigger, uh, pull your grip, all, all the fundamentals of shooting, you know, your breath control, your, uh, um, <clears throat> your follow through your, uh, everything really that you could train at, uh, at the range, you can still go through all of that without using up ammunition, mm -hmm. at, you know, inside your own home, just as long as you make sure you're, you're checking your gun to make sure it's unloaded and the ammunition is not nearby while you're, while you're dry firing, uh, and that you still stick to those three gun safety rules, right? The mm -hmm. always keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. Um, always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. So not at anything you don't want to shoot and always keep every gun or always treat every gun as though it's loaded. Don't, don't ever assume a gun is unloaded. Um, and so mm -hmm. when, you know, when you go to pick up a gun, make sure you check uh, to see if it's unloaded uh, before you start handling it. Right. So it is still a good time to get into gun ownership. Even, even if you, it's not too late now. If we, if you haven't yeah. stockpiled ammo yet, you're still okay. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's been, demand has been so high lately that it is hard to get your, I get probably your perfect choice of a gun, but you can still find um, good, reliable firearms out there for sale. Um, and it is again, also very difficult to get ammo at the, reasonable more reasonable prices um and in the quantities you might want but you can still get it um and so i think it's important to try and uh keep up your training uh as much as possible whether it's with live fire or through dry fire exercises in order to make sure that you're competent and safe with with your firearms but certainly nothing's changed on the front of you know why why someone might want to buy a firearm and the, there's still plenty of reasons uh, that exists today in terms of both safety and um, uh, for sporting use, you know, if you, if you want to learn a shooting sport or even, and obviously also for hunting, um, you know, those things still are just as valid today um, in terms of why you might buy a and firearm. Into safety, uh, you know, up in Massachusetts here, Ayanna Presley is one of our uh, Congress uh, women, one of the squad members. And since uh, Congress is not only reimagining policing and so are liberal uh, states, um, that means that they're reimagining re the protection we have here, which uh, screws us. But, but before I let you go, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, there's something about this guy that is just odd, uh, David Chipman. And he reminds me a little bit of Jonathan Gruber. Remember Obama's um, uh, Obamacare guy who said, oh, yeah, we had to lie to the American people because they're dumbasses. And we took, did whatever we could. A little bit about Fauci, the way Fauci says, yeah, it was necessary for us to lie about masks in the beginning. There's something bureaucratic, but also uh, Alice used the word smarmy about this guy. Is he especially odd or is this you've seen a bunch of these hearings. Is this what bureaucrats in D.C. are like? <laughs> That's a good question. I um, I would say that Shipman is especially controversial uh, as far as nominees go. Like he's just had such a long history of um, making controversial statements because he, the, the thing about Shipman is like he worked for gun control. He worked for multiple gun control groups after he left the ATF. And so he literally works for one now, Giffords. Like he's being paid by a gun control group. And so nominating him to be the head of the regulatory agency that oversees the firearms industry is, is a very odd and, and unusual thing for the president to have done. It's sort of like um, nominating Wayne LaPierre, the NRA CEO to be ATF director. If, if Trump had done that, it would be sort of a similar yeah. uh, uh, equation there. And, and so that, I think that even, you know, you can look at him and obviously you can judge him, uh, on his personality or his decision-making skills and some of the things he said over the years. Um, and, and, you know, people can come to their own conclusion about what they think of the guy, but uh, I think his nomination in and of itself is, is very odd. Um, yeah, it's very, yeah. very strange because you don't usually see somebody who's like, uh, you know, an activist like this uh, uh, nominated for a position uh, overseeing a regulatory agency like this. So uh, it, it's very odd. It's, it's, it's sort of like if you put the head of Greenpeace in charge of regulating the oil companies. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very much like that. So oh, you man. can kind of see. And I don't know if he's going to get through. Yeah. Uh, you know? 
a lot of odd stuff happening in Washington, D.C. and uh, throughout the country right now. Thankfully, Stephen Gatowski is one of the people keeping track of all of it. Follow him um, on Twitter, obviously, at Stephen Gatowski, and go to thereload.com. Sign up immediately. You can sign up for a free newsletter. They've got also a paying option where you can get some uh, other exclusive uh, content. And uh, thanks for going down there and uh, or for watching, monitoring uh, these uh, the machinations in Washington D.C. and for all the great work you're doing, Stephen. We appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, so thanks much. for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Once again, a great uh, Twitter follower, all around good guy, thinner in person mm-hmm. via Zoom, Alice. Than on the uh, his avatar, which He's is an odd thing. He's a handsome guy, but that's not the reason you should follow him. You should follow him because it's odd, though. He's... Usually, if you lose weight, you switch the avatar right up, mm-hmm. and he didn't do it. You haven't said anything to me about losing weight. <laughs> I think been... you've lost weight too when you were at the gym today. I I've think been I cr- see a difference. Crushing abs all week, mm-hmm. Alice. I was there today, crushing abs. I have a new Craigslist free stuff acquisition as well out in the yard, which you haven't seen. We should probably tweet out. People will be thrilled to know. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> it matches something else we acquired as well in a foolish errand. Okay. Oh, God. I'm really excited for this one. So should we get to cleavage or um, uh, your whiteness? Let's go to whiteness first. This is Mark Lamont Hill. You've known him. He's kind of a professory kind of pundit guy, uh, black guy, uh, who's you historic. Play- you played his interview with Candace Owens on this show last yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I've always kind of liked him. He used to go on as a much younger guy to with Bill O'Reilly and just spar with O'Reilly. And I, I liked his uh, his spunk and the fact that he'd show up there and throw down with people. And in, in the way he carried himself, he did it with a smile. And it was I just kind of liked him. Mm-hmm. He's problematic uh, here and there. And he's been tossed off of a few networks or shows anyway. Uh, for it, but uh, here's Mark Lamont Hill uh, talking to Christopher F- Rufo. Rufo, Christopher Rufo, who writes for City Journal, who has a huge scoop actually on this crazy story tonight. Mm-hmm. But so, but Rufo does a lot of stuff on on uh, affirmative action and and uh, critical race theory stuff, etc. So um, Lamont Hill wants him to, to play a, a psychological game with him. What do you like about being white? What would you say? <laughs> I don't know. I, again, it's such an amorphous term. It's like a census term. Or what do you like about being white, Alice? Um, I'm going to defer to Christopher Rufo here and say that I disagree with the premise of the question. Right. I don't so attribute do I. good and bad things in my life to my skin color. Right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and it's not even like being noble saying that. It's just... Only two groups of people go around talking about all the things that are great about being white, and that's uh, neo-Nazis and critical race people. Right. That's the two groups of people that think there is something special and wonderful and amazing about being white. That's, yeah, that's it, ubiquitous. Who, I, I and like nobody else talks about I this. don't even know where. Like hanging out with the guys at the bar. Even Gosh, aren't youth. we so glad we're white? Look at all no. the bounty of our whiteness. Like nobody like, thinks about this stuff. That's no. an insane people behavior. Can you do me a favor? Indulge term. me. Ind- indulge me for one. Just we're running out of time. Indulge me for a minute. I understand you see it as as all these things, but you surely recognize that the world sees you as white. So so indulge me. In other words, step into my fantasy world where everything is upside down and insane. Um, and since you're not coming in, I'm now going to build it around you as you sit there, reluctant. You know the world reads you as white. And if you were to ask me some things I like about, oh hold on, wait a second. The world sees you as white and reads you as white. Well, what sense? White in the sense that they identify him as a Caucasian. I guess that's probably true. That's probably mm-hmm. true. That's how the world, almost all of the people in the world would say that the guy's a white guy. That's probably not solely what they'd say. Mm-hmm. They'd use whatever signals that they could garner from him from a distance if they don't know him to try to glean some uh, idea of what makes him up, the way he walks, uh, you know, he, he, he is, you know, the looker... Um, the if he seems optically um, self confident or right. impish or you know gregarious or whatever all sorts of stuff you use whatever mm-hmm. you can if he has got long hair or uh, if you know if he's got dreadlocks etc you have all these little pieces of information that you're trying to use for a nanosecond until you meet somebody and then they're colored 
by their personality is colored by or their personhood really is colored by their personality and what they say and and you know and you know how they act mm-hmm. um but no no to mark lamont hill no they see you as white they read you as white it must be easy to be in lamont hill's world mm-hmm. he already knows everybody he already knows everything that you and i are right yeah you know white person white person oh yep. bipoc but nope. also what that means yeah you know, mm-hmm. he knows what that means. So he's going to tell us, he's going to lead us now into how to play his game. About being black, I could talk about cultural norms. I could talk about tradition. I could talk about the kind of commonalities I feel around the diaspora. If I were to ask you. What- so that's all he's, his things about. Mm-hmm. These are things that happen as a black person. That's, that's it. These are all the things that go into it. I can tell you that I'm black. So that means absolute these things. The cultural norms, diaspora, the whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I would say is painting all black people with a broad brush. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's accurate to say in the United States that there is a shared African-American culture, in particular amongst uh But you're saying African-Americans. He's saying right, black. black. So I think among um, people who are descended from slaves in the United States, there is a very particular um, cultural experience that's, that's held in the United States. Uh, it, to a degree, not 100%, obviously. But, for example, I think that that's very different from the black immigrant experience. Well, absolutely it is, which is a, which is a, a point of contention a mm-hmm. lot of times as well. It also is geographically different. Right. And it's also just individually a lot of times different. Right. What, particularly if you're saying whiteness is a thing that is being constructed as negative and shouldn't be, name, name something positive that you like about being white. Well, sure. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll... I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, what, so he's like... saying because he criticizes race theory for mm. demonizing whiteness as this great evil. He's saying like, so you're saying we shouldn't be building up whiteness as this evil thing. So mm-hmm. what's good about whiteness, actually, in your view? When actually the problem isn't that whiteness is actually good. The problem is constructing whiteness as a thing, period, is stupid right. and destructive and it rips at the fabric of our society. Right. It, it, the idea is not to pass any judgment on skin color. Yeah, the idea is not to talk about whiteness and blackness and which is better or worse. The idea is to say this shouldn't be a defining characteristic of your life experience, the color of your skin. It has, to our detriment in the past, been a defining part of people's experiences. And that's a bad thing and we shouldn't do it anymore. That's that's the idea of the criticism of critical race theory. And I'll I answer with, a, with a, a thing there. There's a lot of documents that are floating around public schools that say things like uh, timeliness, showing up on time, is a white supremacist value or a white value. So Rufo tries to do an end around the question and reverse back into it. Right. Here it, are the things you say are whiteness. Right. A white dominant value, things like rationality, things like the enlightenment, things like... Uh, uh, Lamont Hill just wanted him to say that straight up. Oh, yeah. Well, we're Not- punctual, uh, responsible. We're rational, unlike you people. We had an enlightenment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, he was just begging. He was just yeah. just wanted. This is in my Substack that'll go out tonight. It's a little mm-hmm. bit late. You know, he's just wanting somebody to play in the sandbox with him. That's it. Yeah. Play my race game with me. <laughs> no, but if somebody were to, it would sound like this, says Rufo. You know, uh, uh, objectivity, and uh, these are very strange things to be ascribed to a racial identity. My view is that these are actually should be ascribed to every individual human being. Every individual human being, regardless of whatever racial category we impose on them. Christopher, that doesn't, answer the, that doesn't answer the question, though. You're telling me you're making straw men about things that are ascribed to whiteness that you think are wrongfully ascribed. Wait a second. He's making straw men. You're absolutely creating out of thin air entire races with attributes that you've decided they absolutely have as a matter of nature, mm-hmm. no matter what. He's making straw No, he's just making different hypothetical straw men than yours right well and his are less hypothetical because they're documented as things that are being uh given to children in the curriculum in public schools these it's a straw man i mean mark lamont hill didn't say this but he's talking about real things that people are teaching children here whereas mark lamont hill is talking about views that are only held by like the kkk not normal white people to whiteness i'm saying if whiteness isn't a negative thing and there's something that you actually and that whiteness actually shouldn't be constructed as all negative name something positive about being that you believe is positive about being white 
Incredible. <laughs> if it's not a negative thing, then it, how are you innocent? So this is such a trap because the only options that he's giving him are either whiteness is all bad and whiteness is evil and we must eradicate it. Or you need to tell me what's really great about whiteness and why it's the best, in which case you're an evil racist. Right. So that's choose your battle. Again, I don't buy into the framework that the world can be reduced into these metaphysical categories of whiteness and blackness. I think that's wrong. I think we should look at people as individuals. I think we should celebrate uh, different people's accomplishments. And uh, again, I think the idea you, you mentioned Ignatiev. Ignatiev says the goal is to, quote, abolish the white race. Um, in any other context, this would be interpreted as a near genocidal slur. I don't buy into it. The reason I'm not going to answer your question is I reject that categorization. I think of myself as an individual human being no, uh, with no, my no. own capabilities. And I would hope that we could both judge each other as individuals uh, and uh, come to common values on that basis. Fair enough. I, I would argue, though, that the, the luck that the ability to say I don't see race, I don't. Right, is a privilege. Uh, yeah, assume yeah, is where yeah. we're going with that. Mark Lamont Hill, thank you very much for your help yeah, with that. Yeah, so this uh, guy, as you mentioned, Christopher Rufo, who does, he gets a lot of these scoops of um, these critical race theory seminars, things that go out in public schools and corporations. He has one today where um, he got the documents from a program that Lockheed Martin did um, with their uh, white men's caucus. They sent their key executives to a three-day um, program to deconstruct their white male culture. And uh, it was led by the consulting firm White Men as Full Diversity Partners, which specializes in helping white males awaken together. The participants included a former three-star general and the vice president of production for Lockheed Martin. Um, so they started off with a free association exercise where the Lockheed employees were asked to list connotations for the term white men. Uh, the trainers wrote down words like old, racist, privileged, anti-women, angry, Aryan nation, KKK, <laughs> founding fathers, guns, guilty, can't jump. Oh, <laughs> so, somebody here is racist. I don't the trainers then asked what's in it for white men. Uh, as in, like, why should we do this diversity training and included responses such as, I won't be replaced by somebody who is a better full diversity partner. <laughs> oh, I, I, will okay. I will improve the brand image and reputation of white men. And I will have less of a nagging sense of guilt that I am the problem. Uh, so. Can't we just make missiles and planes and <laughs> nope. shut up? About nope, that is a sign of the whiteness of rugged individuals. If you want to read that, that is um, Christopher Rufo. His uh, a Twitter handle is Real Chris Rufo. You can check him out. He has lots of uh, great content like that. And um, I thought he did a good job answering those questions. All right, Alice, something you're no stranger to. Pornography. Let's go. That's uh, slanderous. Oh, I can't believe I was allowed to get away with that. You were not allowed to get away with it. That is not accurate about me at all. But um, you want to tell the people about the plate, Alice? That's in the shot right here. <laughs> I don't think it is in the shot. It's not. It's cut off. But uh, yes, I was wrongfully accused as we started to get ready to film the show. Tom accused me of leaving a plate with a grease sodden paper towel on it. Mm -hmm. uh, at his desk where he records when I reminded him that he had eaten bacon up here the other day when he was on the radio. So um, he corrected his mistake in accusing me of leaving the plate there. So yeah. thank you. I, um, <laughs> I have been vindicated. Uh, that is skinny privilege, Alice, that you're flouting in front of me. Some of us, us fats, need to jam bacon into our mouths urgently. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we cannot wait. Well, then maybe you should use your disability status to take the plate down with you after you leave. I believe that is a gender role for the wife of the house, Alice. Hmm. I think okay. that is the rule in that. It was somewhere in the oath of office. What is the thing that we, we promised to when we got married? Um, I don't recall one about dirty plates. Whatever that is. What is that called? Our vows? Yes. Mm. Plates were in there. Okay. To porn we go. So anyway, um, this is a story from uh, 
the Columbia Prep School, which is a $47,000 a year school for students to attend. Uh, this was a story in New York Post this week. Uh, parents at the posh Columbia Grammar and Preparatory School are outraged they were never told of a fourth R being added to the curriculum. Raunch. Uh, juniors at the $47,000 a year Manhattan school showed up for a health and sexuality workshop. Most thought it was just going to be about condoms or birth control, a student to- told the Post. We've reimagined they uh, have, health and sexuality. They have reimagined. Instead, it was something called pornography literacy, an intersectional focus on mainstream porn, taught by go. Justine Ang Fonte, who's the director of health and wellness at the elite prep school Dalton. The explicit slide presentation and lecture by Fonti to the 120 boys and girls included lessons on how porn takes care of the three big male vulnerabilities, statistics on the orgasm gap, Um, showing... Oh, that's great! Please (laughs) let this become a thing! Please let this become a thing! Showing straight women have far fewer orgasms with their partners than gay men or women, and photos of partially nude women, some in bondage, to analyze what is porn and what is art. Uh, the presentation. Nobody's a sicko. No included, one in this story is a sicko. <laughs> included a list of the most searched pornographic terms of 2019, including. Alice you might need K. to get your please button ready, honey. Guys, I want. I would like to dis- to add this quick disclaimer here. I don't endorse. I don't know what or, any or of these represent words mean anything that she's about to say here. Start that uh, paragraph again, enough, please. Start if that it's parag- good enough. If there are kids, for now is the time to lose. Prep, it's good enough if for kids, you. now is the time to leave the room. Start that uh, par- yeah, paragraph. Block first. your ears. Fonty's presentation included a list of the most searched pornographic terms of 2019, including. I don't know if I can say this. Alice? I, say? <laughs> I can't say. <sighs> including <laughs> cream pie what? anal. Wait a second. That's a bakery item. <laughs> oh. So, why did you have where you're reticent to say it? <laughs> Gangbang, stepmom, and more. Stepmom. One slide included. St- Wait, hold on. What is stepmom? Is that a, is that a maneuver? Apparently, you know- no. It's a category. Oh, a search term. So these I are see. categories that people search when they're searching for porn involving whatever. Can you post write that? If I was at the Herald, they would never let us write those words. Mm, they're edgy. One slide cited various genres such as incest theme, consensual, or vanilla. That's so vanilla, having it be consent. I thought they were for consent on the left. I don't know. Barely legal and kink and BDSM, which included waterboard electro torture porn yes, as an that's example. What, that's what Alice and I are into, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> Al- is, the, the, uh, uh, they also included uh, part of the presentation on the marketability of OnlyFans. Okay. So you got to teach your kids, you know, the. OnlyFans.com forward slash Tom Shattuck. <laughs> Uh, okay, keep going. So uh, they it, once. Whoa! Like, once what? No, no. It, it, it goes after kink and BDSM, which included waterboard, oh, torture porn. We did yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One slide included a photo of a pretty young woman who appeared to be promoting OnlyFans work. I identify as non-binary. She's quoted as saying, "But because that hasn't hit the general consensus of the adult industry, I say girl because that's what people who want to buy my content will be looking for." Oh God. Well, this sounds like a great use of anybody's time. Apparently, the students were so horrified, they started sending the link around to other people that they knew for the Zoom presentation to uh, who attended other schools so that everybody could see this uh, crazy thing. And uh, and the parents, some of the parents saw it, too. So, um, Mommy, I got an A in murder porn <laughs> over the weekend. I'm writing my thesis so on that's the orgasm what, gap. That's what $47,000 a year buys you. Um, that seems like a good use of uh, your money. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, I mean, do we hit? Uh, should we just do the, the high school thing tomorrow then? It's an, this has been a lot of sex and raunch. It's thank you. Lot- Everybody thank Alice Shattuck for that. Uh, that's I, that's a, that's in the New York Post. Yeah. That's well, safe. No, um, that came out of the mouth of Alice Shattuck. You know, who probably should be waterboarded for doing that, sullying this mm-hmm. once um, chased podcast back when I was doing it alone and has now made it into some kind of brothel. <laughs> All right, you good? We have to go to the food trucks downtown. Yeah, there's going to be a food truck at the playground. So, uh, is there anything? I'm sure there is. There are things we're forgetting because, of course, we always forget things we're forgetting. But anyway, we'll figure it out tomorrow. Thanks again. Good to talk to everybody. You can find us on Twitter at Barn Barrel Pod. Um, in the show notes, will be Stephen Gatowski and Chris uh, Rufo's Twitter handles. So you can follow them. Um, maybe I was thinking of Moon Pie, maybe. a Moon Pie, mm-hmm. or a Whoopie Pie, which are both yeah delicious. Yeah, as a matter of fact. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, he's Tom Shattuck. I'm Alice Shattuck. We're also at burnbarrelpodcast.com and on YouTube as Tom Shattuck's Burn Barrel. And uh, what else? Oh, you can email us. We are burnbarrelpodcast at gmail.com. So send us an email. Tell us your thoughts. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.